Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. I'm Talia Bacassis. And I'm Kim France. So it's the money episode. (laughs) Kim, I've watched you over the past few months, and I think it's safe to say you're a spender, not a saver. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a fair assessment. I'm less of a spender than I used to be. I will say that. And and, and, Mm -hmm. And more of a saver. Right, right. I mean, you know, you have a blog that is dedicated to... Uh, shopping. Can I actually pull back the curtain a little bit? Do you really buy everything that you say you buy? Everything I say I bought, I actually bought. But if you notice, I don't say that all that often. I have been wondering because cause I was thinking when you told me that trick the other day where I said like, oh, I'm having trouble because I feel like I'm online spending a lot. And you were like, what? just try putting it in your shopping cart and leaving it there. <laughs> and then I was like, maybe that's what she does on the blog because you often seem to be shopping, but maybe sometimes you're just putting it in your cart and you're thinking to yourself, well, that counts as buying it. No, I don't think it would be fair to the readers for me to like promote something and say I bought it and then not actually right, have bought it, right, right, especially right, right. beauty products because it's so, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, but I do believe in, in, in filling up a shopping cart and then abandoning it. Oh, so I guess it's often you say you're tempted by something. That's true. Yes, I have many, many words, like our, like my president. <laughs> many, many words. Oh. And how have you felt in your life about approaching money and investing and that kind of thing? Well, it always intimidated me a lot. Um, when I had a job with a high salary, I really realized it was time for me to learn how to save, because if not, then when? 
And I was really clumsy about it at the beginning. I didn't know what I was doing and I found it very intimidating and didn't understand the difference between an annuity and a money market and still don't really. Yeah. yeah. How about you? Yeah. Most of my life I've felt pretty much like understanding money is not on the table for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm bad at math and it's complicated and... And also, I think because I'm in a creative field, it seemed almost like crass to be financially literate. Like, you're not in it for the right reasons. You're not in it for the art. Mm -hmm. It's even a convention very often when you're talking to people who might employ you to not ask about the salary until quite a few conversations in. Yeah, I mean, like, art people and creative people don't usually talk about investments or taxes and stuff. That just seems, like, embarrassing. So it was really liberating to hear our guests say that it's not my fault. It's how we socialize girls and women. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah, me too. A lot. Um, at the same time, it kind of makes me mad. Yeah, yeah. Mad how? Well, mad that that's the truth. It's like that when people start trying to explain that type of stuff to me, it's like the Peanuts when the in Peanuts, the cartoon when the adults talked. <laughs> exactly. And it was like, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> I know, I know, it's terrible. So we have had a lot of requests for a show about money. People really want to have it broken down for them. And for a long time, we couldn't figure out who the right guest was. And I'm really pleased with who we booked, because frankly, I don't think there is a better guest out there. We have Sally Krawcheck, the CEO and co-founder of Elevest, an investment platform for women that has received so much attention. And before launching Elevest, Sally built a successful career on Wall Street. She was the CEO of places like Merrill Lynch, Smith Barney, I mean, that kind of caliber. And the reason we love her is she's an advocate for demystifying money for women and for women taking control of their finances. So in our chat, she talked about the importance of giving a shit, which, you know, Kim and I have not always done, <laughs> and what specific things you should be thinking about. So here is our chat with Sally Krawcheck. Welcome, Sally. Hey, good. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So can you tell us why you started Elevest? Like what was missing in the financial sector? <laughs> well, <laughs> women don't invest as much as men do. That's where this started. Mm. Uh, and it cost women, for some women, tens of thousands, for some hundreds of thousands, for some women, million plus dollars over the course of their career. For some women, the gender investing gap, which is where we started, cost them more than the gender pay gap over the course of their lives. Mm. And growing up on Wall Street, the reason given for it was, well, you know, I mean, nobody exactly said these words, but it was like, you know, investing is really for men. Nobody said it. But mm -hmm. instead, they would say things like, well, women are more risk averse than men. And you know, they don't like to invest. And, and men are better investors. How do we know? Because look, they're the ones who are investing. And there was sort mm -hmm. of a sense of it is, there's something wrong with women that they aren't investing. And so therefore women should, we'll, we'll all have women's initiatives. We'll all be about telling women to change. And so at one point I thought, you know, what, just what if <laughs> it's actually not women's fault? And the fact that women don't invest in much, as much as men isn't because there's something inherently wrong with them. It's because just maybe an industry where 99% of investment dollars are managed at companies owned by white men, 
90% mm -hmm. of traders are men, 98% of mutual fund dollars are managed by men, 86% of financial advisor men. What if they actually just built a business for themselves? Maybe because there are few women, we never really took their needs, what they wanted into account. And so what if, you know, all the dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of investment management firms for men, what if there's one built by and for women? And so that's really where Elevest started. And of mm. course, even today, even today, after, you know, we've been out for, for years now, people will say, you know, but is Elevest really needed? Yeah, I know myself that I've always felt really intimidated by investing because it feels confusing and risky. You were socialized too. Yeah, I guess so. In our society today, we still talk to girls differently than boys about money. Girls, mm -hmm. it's be careful, budget coupon clip. Boys, it's invest, get wealthy, be a CEO. Mm -hmm. There is no money media for women. For men, there's CNBC, Bloomberg, all the sort of money sports channel. And something like mm -hmm. two-thirds of articles in women's publications about money are about how hard it is, how difficult it is, how challenging it is, how boring it is. The other third are patronizing. Take this mm -hmm. money quiz. Mm -hmm. The reason you feel like, oh, it's risky and I'm not good at it is because you've been taught to since you were a toddler. But how did you get past that? Because you obviously have been active in this area for many, many years. Like, how did you break through that? Well, uh, it's a long, long story. You know, first of all, I didn't grow up in a family that had much money. And so I'll be honest, when I was growing up, I just wanted to have money. And so like most young women at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, when I went there, I took one math class <laughs> because I was like, ah, I'm not good at it. But then when I looked at where the money was, to be frank, when I graduated from college, it was on Wall Street. So I went to Wall Street and rather than being intimidated or frankly getting thrown out, which at the time in the late 80s, it was a pretty hostile work environment. I recognized that maybe I wasn't the smartest person, but I wasn't the dumbest person. And I could sure outwork everybody else. You know, it's not some upper level smarter. It's just they, they focus on it. They work hard at it. And I can do that too. Good for you. Twice you've been fired and it's made the cover of the Wall Street Journal. How did you bounce back from such high profile <laughs> dismissals? <laughs> I was going to say, thank you so much for bringing that up. I'm, I know, I'm, <laughs> I know, but you know. Really <laughs> I mean, it mm. says something that it made the cover. I will, exactly that. So, you know, first of all, I love to say it was so much fun the first time I did it twice. I, I'm the only woman, <laughs> to the best of my knowledge, for who has had that accolade twice. And look, I would say there are two ways of thinking about it. You can make a choice. Choice number one is this is deeply humiliating. And everybody I know knows I've been fired. And everybody, a lot of people I don't know, know I've been fired. The second way of thinking about it is hot damn friggin' front page of the <laughs> journal. Exactly. <laughs> Look at me. And if you, again, to go back to when I was growing up as a girl in Charleston, South Carolina, if you told me I would do anything, that anybody would write about anything in any publication ever, I would have counted that a victory. And so, mm -hmm. look, I'm privileged enough that that didn't mean that we were going to go hungry or lose our home. And so given that level of privilege, recognizing that I've been given this gift that, you know, that I've been able to have a life and build a life that people care enough to hear about, 
getting fired on the front page of the Wall Street Journal was the flip side of having the success I'd had. Taking right. the business risk, being out there, doing things different, sometimes led to running large businesses or starting companies, and a couple times led to getting fired. But how did you bounce back? Well, first I drank heavily, so I, I you know, <laughs> um, and then realized that there are, you know, with a lot of problems with our country, a lot of problems with capitalism, but there are lots of opportunities to be successful. Just because you stumble doesn't mean it's over. Yeah, and right. so then, you know, owning the firing, talking about it, putting it in context, what did you learn from it, and actually learning from it, and then using it as another stepping stone in your journey. You've said that you're powered by being simultaneously pissed off and grateful, which I kind of love. <laughs> Can you explain that? I think as you've maybe been able to see, I have a certain joy in life. I recognize the privilege. I recognize the struggle that as a woman, I had doors shut for me that, you know, the research is clear that on Wall Street, women and men come in, not exactly one by one, you know, sort of 50% of one, but women come in at a junior level, but then it's not even they leave. You know, people think, oh, then they leave. No, no, no. They just don't get promoted. And so I'm pissed off because I recognize where those doors have been slammed. I'm pissed off because my daughter is new to the workforce and that not as much has changed as I would have hoped it would have as I fought for it to. And so I'm motivated by that piss-offedness. And then I'm simultaneously grateful because I recognize the privilege I've had, that Mm -hmm. I did have opportunities as a white woman that my black female friends didn't get, didn't have. And, and I'm grateful also for all the issues that we have in the world that I was born at the time I was when those opportunities were available to me. I mean, that was just pure dumb luck. And so I'm grateful for everything I've got, but then so pissed off that we seem to be moving backwards that I'm joyfully furious every day. Joyfully furious. Yeah, it's kind of great. <laughs> yeah, that I is. I kind of love great. that. I think that's where I live. <laughs> so, what are the fundamental differences with how men handle their money from how women handle their money? When you say the word today, money, to a man, the words that come to mind for him, he said, What does it mean for you to be, oh, easy, power, strength, independence? For women, you say money and you say, What does it mean to you? And she says, Oh, isolation, loneliness, and uncertainty. Hmm. What? They're very fundamentally different. Why? Why loneliness? Loneliness, who's she going to talk to about it? She's been brought up that she's not good at it. It's hard. So therefore, it's a source of shame for her. There's no amount of money today a woman makes that she doesn't feel embarrassed about. It's either Mm. too much and, oh, you know, you've seen this. Where, oh, my friends, they, don't, they work as hard as I. They work harder than I do, but I make more. I better not. You know, I don't want anybody to think I'm a jerk. So, uh, or it's too little. I'm so mm-hmm. ashamed. We're going out to this restaurant. I, I don't want to say I can't afford it because I'm going to look like a jerk. You know, my blah, blah, blah. So as a result, for women today, they prefer, we prefer to talk about literally any topic than money. Like literally. That's true. Hmm. Yeah. Sex, Sure. <laughs> our it's own true. death our own yeah. death absolutely <laughs> and so part of the reason that you know you had demand to talk about money is because we're not talking about it with our friends and so this is a safer space to begin to have those conversations and so 
it translates over into how we manage our money. You know, if you never talk about money with your friends, you don't know how much they make. You don't know how much you're supposed to make. You, you know, you go in to negotiate a raise and there's so many books about negotiating. You don't even know how much to ask for. And so as a result, we've got a gender pay gap, 82 cents to a man's dollar. Part of it is just we don't even know because we've got this shame. P.S. We've also been told that negotiating is unladylike. So, I mean, that's the witch's brew right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, money's a source of shame. And if I negotiate for it, I'm a bully. Or if I ask for more. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just, and then forget it. We just, then we get the money and we don't invest it or we end up with too much on credit cards or we don't pay off our student loan debt in the right way because we just don't know. I remember speaking to a woman who had successfully negotiated a contract with a magazine. And I was so impressed with how she'd handled it. And she said, when I'm in a negotiation like that, I don't want Mm -hmm. to be the one walking away feeling bad. And that Mm -hmm. was so mind-blowing to me. Hmm. Feeling bad because she left money on the table or feeling bad? No, she doesn't want to be the one who feels bad. She wants them to feel bad, like they she bested (laughs) them. I thought that was awesome. (laughs) I tell most women, you know, pretend like you're negotiating for someone else. Pretend like you're negotiating for your your son or your daughter, Mm. your niece, your nephew, you know, some person whom you love and feel protective of, and you know they deserve it. Mm -hmm. Well, what's the most common mistake you see women making with regards to their finances? Let me let me back up a little bit um, because mm. I think before we get there, I'd love to give a little bit of context. So I mentioned the gender Please. pay gap. Mm. Google gender pay gap. There are like 58 million articles. There's actually a more important money gap. The more important money gap is the gender wealth gap. So the mm-hmm. pay gap is how much you bring in. The wealth gap is how much you have, how much you keep, what you're worth, right? Or what you're financially worth. That's 32 cents. A woman has 32 cents to a man's dollar. A black woman, a penny. A brown woman, a penny. Moving in the wrong direction. And so when we talk about money, we so often talk about getting the raise and how to negotiate, et cetera. But in fact, you know, the mistakes we make is when the money comes in, are we using it the right way? Are Hmm. we paying off credit card debt right away because that just saps away your wealth because the, the interest rate, the cost of it is so high. Are right. we investing some of the money or are we believing, as, as you mentioned, that, gosh, that's so risky, I could lose everything I'm not going to do. That's been tremendously costly for women. And so I tend to think the biggest mistakes women make come from having been socialized, money is not for us and money's hard, money's difficult. Therefore, thinking it's more complicated is and not following simple rules which will enable us to build our wealth, not quite regardless of where our salaries are, but you know, across a broader range of salaries. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a quick break for some ads. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin, and I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule, essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry-leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry-leading sustainability standards. You know I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump, and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long, and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess, is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Uh, okay, so you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25% off. Welcome back to Everything is Fine. Once women hit 40, what do you think they should absolutely be doing with their money? It's making sure that you understand what's coming in and very importantly, how you then allocate how you use that money. And so at Elevest, we talk about the 50-30-20 rule. You know, that of your take-home pay, 50% should go to needs. That's your rent, that's the gas for the car, that's the clothes you need for work, et cetera, et cetera. 30% should go to fun. And if the past six hmm. months, one year have not taught us that you need to have fun, <laughs> yeah. you need to have fun, right? Mm -hmm. Life is short. 20% needs to go to what I call, you know, for me, her name is Esther. For you, it might be Agnes or Gretchen or whoever, and she is future you. And with 20% of my take-home pay, I want to be taking care of her. And that can be, what are the things I can do to set her up to be well off when she's older? And I, I need to do this. And the reason I, I need to do this and you need to do this and not our spouses or partners need to do this is because 80% of women die single. We live six to eight years longer than our spouse if we're in a heterosexual relationship. 90% um, of us manage our money on our own at some point in our lives. And when we outsource our management of our money in our future, 
to him in our lives, when that money comes back to us, 74% of us have a negative surprise. Okay. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So the 20%, Mm. you know, is stuff like pay off the credit card debt if you haven't. Pay off high interest rate student loan debt if you haven't. Build your savings account, what we call an emergency fund that's three to six months of take-home pay if you haven't. Put in an investment in the 401k. Invest in an investment account. Some part out of every paycheck to Esther. Specifically, where does that Esther money go? Wait, why does she have to have a different name? Just so you can picture her. Or you could say Old Sally if you want, but that's a little (laughs) depressing for me. And my grandmother's name was Esther, so it makes me want to take Uh, care of her. You know, but just picture her. There's actually research. There's research behind it. If you picture her, then you really believe that you owe her. Right, right, right. Okay. No, I was just wondering because she just seemed like the names that you picked were like Agnes and Esther. And I was like, oh, my God. It's like when you're 90. I know. Well, that's sort of the point. Okay. Mm. So... For the 20%, exactly where does it go? It really depends on where you are in your journey. And and I said those things I said before in order for a reason. So you want to sit down and say, in what order should I be getting myself financially straight, getting Esther financially straight? Well, first things first, if you have credit card debt outstanding, you need to pay that off. That right. The interest rates there can be 15%, 20%, 30%. If you have other kinds of debt where the interest rate is above 7 or 10%, pay that off second. The third thing you want to do is build your savings account or emergency fund. Wait a second, Sally, shouldn't I have an emergency fund regardless of whether I've paid off my credit card debt? Answer is no. Answer is no. Why? Money's fungible. And so if you've got a, a savings account that earns about zero and you've got money you owe that's costing you 20%, use that savings account to pay it off. Oh, well, then I don't have an emergency fund. What do I do if I have an emergency? Then you run up your credit card again, right? And so some of the Mm -hmm. worst financial advice out there is to build an emergency fund or a savings account when you have credit card debt outstanding. Just use that and pay it off. So then with the emergency fund, you want to shoot for overtime, building it to three to six months of take-home pay. If the roof leaks, if the, you know, if you, you know, you break the furnace, if there's a pandemic, you know, I don't think we have to convince everybody uh, for that. You know, as you do that, then you want to start putting some percent into the 401k at work if there's one available. And particularly if there's a match, because that's mm-hmm. free money. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the research says if you're putting 10% or so in that, then you should be set for retirement by the time it rolls around. And anything left over then, you should be investing it in a, in a brokerage account. So that's really the order you can shift. You know what? People will be like, I know you said I don't. I can leave my student loan debt outstanding and the interest rate's only 4%, but it's just driving me berserk. Mm-hmm. I can't stand it. Then go ahead and pay it off. Go ahead and pay it off. Mm-hmm. Whatever makes you feel confident and strong. Mm-hmm. Anything that is debt is your priority, basically. Well, unless the interest rate's low. If right. you've got student right. loan debt and you got a 3% interest rate on it, then just pay, obviously pay the amount that's due, but you don't have to prepay it off because you will, historically over time, you would have earned more by being invested in the stock market, right? Mm-hmm. And so it would have made sense to invest in the stock market and pay that thing off more more slowly. Uh-oh. That's my 
grandfather clock. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> I thought it was a doorbell. No. The negative surprise hit me a little bit because I don't necessarily know what is happening in my household finances. So that makes me feel like stock market or no, I've got to inform myself. Oh my gosh, for sure. Well, and look, you know, not to be, to sort of pile on here, but I know so many (laughs) women, you know, the the time that they find out about their finances is during the biggest tragedy of their life when their spouse passes away or leaves them Mm. for another Mm. person. And that is a really, really bad time to be learning about money. And so you just got to get in there. You just got to get in there. Yeah, I didn't do it till I got divorced. And my divorce attorney said, I do not understand your finances and sent me to his guy. Mm -hmm. Um, Before that, I I was, it was clueless, but that was a big, big, big wake up call. Yeah, Mm -hmm. look, we're busy, right? We got the kids' birthday parties and we, you know, having to work harder at, the job in order to get half as far as the guy. I mean, like we got a lot of stuff going on. So how do you begin to calculate how much you need to be saving for retirement and when should you start saving for retirement? As early as you can, and it's never too late. Right. And so if you can, the 10% out of every paycheck into your 401k, into an IRA, so that by the time you retire, you've got multiples of your annual salary put aside for retirement. Um, And this is important stuff. I hear all the time, particularly for women who have got kids who are going to college, well, should I pay for my kid's college and not invest for retirement? And the heartbreaking answer always is, if you let the numbers speak to you, you should invest for your retirement and have your kid take out student loans because there are no loans for retirement, right? You know, the numbers are scary, which is why I'm hesitating to say them, you know, that mm. you should be six, seven, eight times your um, annual salary level as you get to retirement or more, uh, which just feels so scary. But mm-hmm. if you begin as early as you can and are investing steadily and investing in you know a diversified mix, but with stocks with equity in there, that the lift from that historically, you know, has been enough to get you to where you need to be by the time you're retired. So six to eight, probably also of your combined household income, if you're two people, let's say. Well, it depends on if you're with someone when you're retired. Right. That, right. What if I want to invest with a conscience? Hmm. What a great question. So first of all. Let's be perfectly clear that everything we do with our money, every dollar we invest, every dollar we spend, every dollar we save has an impact. Everything. We may not be thinking about that impact, but we're having an impact. And so you order something from Amazon, you have voted for Amazon and Jeff Bezos. You consciously decide to buy from women-owned businesses or from the corner shop that's struggling, you have voted for those businesses. And you have your deposits with, you know, a big bank, you have voted for that big bank. Everything we do with our money matters. And particularly as women, we drive 85 or 90% of consumer spending. And while we don't have as much money as the men in our lives, we still have trillions of dollars. You know, and and what I love is that uh, women are very interested in this topic and have really struggled to get have the inf- full information in order mm-hmm. to 
you know, direct their money consciously. So if you want to invest, it's sometimes called impact investing or values-based investing, or you hear ESG, environmental social governance investing. Um, it is now increasingly being offered um, by investing firms. Well, I was going to ask you what what your advice would be for somebody who's too risk adverse for the stock market, but it sounds like what you're saying is the stock market isn't risky. The, well, let me let me say the, the stock market hasn't been as risky historically as you think. Obviously, I mean, I, know, I think what, what yeah, what I mean is yeah. sh- long term, the stock yeah, market isn't that's risky. Right. Short term, like yeah. So here's okay. here's my advice for someone who uh, I don't know, just put in a little bit, just mm-hmm. you know, with a dollar, right? You can invest. Mm-hmm. You know, with 10, with 100. So what I would tell people, I don't know, put in some amount of money that you can afford to lose and just write it off in your head. Just like out of every paycheck, I can afford to lose 10 bucks. If it went away, I would never know it. And that amount of money is going from my paycheck. I'm going to put on a recurring deposit. I'm never going to think about it again. And Mm -hmm. I'm just going to keep investing. And then every six months, I'm going to look and see what happened. And what I will bet is that you will be surprised by how that money grows or Mm -hmm. if the market is tough, how it doesn't fall to zero. Mm -hmm. And that then you'll be like, you know what? Here's some more money that I can invest for the long term. If you can say this is money I won't need for at least 15 years, I will tell you that historically, if you invested on any day since the 1920s and left the money, and that could be a great day or a bad day in the market, so the day before a really bad crash or a tough crash, if you'd invested on any day since the 1920s, left the money in, your chances of a positive return over that 15 years was 99%. If you Mm -hmm. had invested the way I just said, which is a bit out of every paycheck, your chances of a positive return over that period of time was 100%. But a positive return that we don't know like what the percentage would be necessarily. Yeah, for sure. But nobody lost ever, you know, if you invested that way, nobody lost everything. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Historically, it hasn't been as much downside as we think if we had a long-term perspective. Sure, any day, you invest the day before right. a crash, you, you feel miserable. But if you just say, I just don't need that money right now. I used to, I have a meager investments, but I used to open the statements every month and I realized that I had to just not open the statements every yeah. month because it freaked me out to see any time that it went down. I know, I got it. Look, I, by the way, I did that with my business at Elevest. I guess the one last thing is somebody asked mm. about prop- owning property. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, their question was, what is a reliable place to invest if you don't and won't own property? But what is your take on owning on women investing in property? Well, I'd say a couple of things. First of all, we talked about the gender wealth gap earlier. And, you know, one reason that women don't have as much wealth as men is we talked about we haven't invested as much. We have more credit card debt. Another reason is we haven't owned as much property. And mm-hmm. certainly for black women who haven't owned as much property, and black people mm-hmm. who haven't owned as much property as white people. And property over time has been a good investment. Not every year, not every one. But if you compare it to the stock market, the stock market has done better. So the stock market since the 1920s has gone up on average 9.5% a year. Mm-hmm. Property, different areas of the country, different times, different whatever, it's averaged an increase of 3% a year. So 9.5% is better than 3%. The other problem with um, property is you typically have to take out a mortgage and right. it can be take you a while to sell. Where, whereas the equity market, you don't want to be taking out 
loans to invest in the stock market. And you can sell your stock. You may not get the price you want, but you can sell stocks five days a week, right? Except for like Christmas and Thanksgiving and stuff and the weekends. <laughs> but property, you could put that friggin' thing on the market and it can take forever. So the combination of you've got to go into debt to own property typically, it takes a while to sell and it goes up, but it doesn't go up as much as the equity market. If I were to just bring this to you as, would, do you want to do this or that? You'd go stock market all day long, except you can't live in a stock. Mm-hmm. It's just a real problem, right? You can't you know, bring up your children in a stock. You can't take a bath in a stock. You can't have dinner in a stock. And so, <laughs> you know, f- for me, I'm a property gal all day. I love looking at homes and daydreaming and fantasizing <laughs> about homes and looking at other people's homes. And, you know, so you, you should buy the home you want and that you can afford. And you don't have to go into too much debt. And hopefully it will go up over time and mm-hmm. add to your wealth. But from a financial perspective, you would you, historically, you always would have gone with the stock market. Okay. Right. Thank you, Sally. This has been incredibly informative and illuminating. And yeah, thanks so where much. Where do you want people to find you? Um, or what, what do you want to tell people to go look up LFS to what, say it of all? Of course, we would love that. So we're, you can find us at LFS.com, E-L-L-E-V-E-S-T.com. Um, what you're <laughs> going to see there is... Um, in addition to the capabilities we have, a lot of information delivered in what we hope are approachable, fun, engaging ways um, so that you can learn at your own pace, whether you prefer webinars or whether you prefer articles or whether you prefer, you know, in our app, we have something called the edit, which is sort of bite-sized bits of financial learning. Believe me, it is not as complicated or as difficult or as time-consuming or as risky as we have been socialized to believe. And so at LFS, we try to bring you this information and the right product solutions as well in order for you to make progress so that we can attack that number one source of stress and flip it over so that it becomes your number one driver of confidence. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks, Sally. Oh, my pleasure. I had so much fun. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Everything is Fine. We are your hosts, Talia Bacassis. And Kim France. If you like the show, be sure to rate it and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have suggestions for show ideas or anything else, email us at tallyandkim at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram that is EIF Podcast, and you can find Kim on her blog, girlsofacertainage.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.